Thank you, Gilda. You know, it, it absolutely amazes me that talent that God gives people. I've, I've got my notes up here, and I'm going to try and keep my mind focused on what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know how Gilda plays the piano, sings from memory those songs. I hadn't figured it out yet uh, other than the Lord give it to you. Well, I hope he keeps giving that to you, too. And y'all keep praying. He keeps giving me notes to share with y'all, all right? So, let's pray together. Father, we are indeed blessed by you in so many ways. Lord, most especially to be able to come openly and publicly to worship you. Father, I pray that we would never come to this time and place when you weren't allowed to speak to our hearts. I pray, Father, that we would honor you by trusting in your word that it is the inspired word of God. And I pray, too, that we would understand that not by our wisdom, but by the working of the Holy Spirit of God, that we could understand and apply your word to our daily living. Father, I pray for each family that's represented in this church. Lord, they are, they're different in many ways, Lord. Perhaps single parents are, Lord, perhaps uh, homes that have been broken and divided, but yet, God, you've got a will and a purpose and a plan for each home. And I pray, Father, for especially the parents, that you would give wisdom and guidance. And I pray, Father, that we would not try to raise our children and, and lead our homes by our own power and strength and wisdom, but, Lord, we would turn to your word and we would humbly seek your, your guidance and your blessings on our home. And, Lord, I just pray for all parents that you'll give, give wisdom and guidance, even from this passage of Scripture that we have now studied or will study for the fourth time today. Father, open our hearts and our minds to you and to your word this day. And, Father, just pray that you'll receive all the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us read again Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1, and nine, 1 through 9. This will be listed on the overhead, okay? Listen to this. Now, this is a commandment, the statutes and ordinances which the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. Now, again, get this picture. God gave this word to Moses, and now he is teaching the people of Israel, that you may do them in the land of which you're going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, and listen to how he includes the entire family, you, your son, your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, and a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Folks, I know that this is the fourth time that we've looked at this passage of Scripture. And each time I've read this passage, it seems something new and applicable comes out. Let me share briefly what we're learning. God here in Deuteronomy 6 is preparing his people to become individuals that his plan can be fulfilled in. 
Now, again, think about this for just a minute. Is God's plan being worked out and realized in my life and your life as an individual? And perhaps you get tired of hearing a preacher say God has a plan for your life, but God truly does have a plan for our lives. Secondly, God is preparing homes and families to be units. Now, listen to these three things that I think God desires happens in the home and in the family. We are to be units of worship, of revelation, and of spiritual education. Worship, revelation, spiritual education. Are these things a reality in our homes and our families? God is also preparing the nation Israel to be a witness that there is one true God. Are we doing that as a nation? How will we do all this? How will God do all this? He's going to do it through the lives and homes, through the families and parents who will walk in right relationship with him. And so God in these verses gives five instructions. We've read these each time, but I want to read them again. God gives these five instructions to Israel, to you and me, and to every generation of believers. And I want to remind you once again, I don't think you need to be reminded, but I want to remind, it, remind you, even though Moses wrote this thousands of years ago, and this is the Old Testament, it is still the inspired word of God for us today. So listen to these instructions that God gives through Moses to Israel and to every generation of followers. Number one, we are to fear the Lord. Verse two, that you may fear the Lord your God, you, your son, and your son's son. This is for the entire family. Number two, you are to obey the Lord. Verse two, by keeping his statutes and commandments. Verse three, hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. And lest you and I think that this is just an Old Testament commandment that is out of date, listen to what the Lord Jesus himself said. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you go to the next overhead. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him and manifest myself to him. Next one, please. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if a man loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the words which you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. How important is it that we obey the Lord? It is his command and it shows that we love him. The third instruction that, that God gives through Moses in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The fourth instruction is found in verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And the fifth instruction is found beginning in verse 6 when God says, These things shall be upon your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. And I hope you and I can see that there's a progression in here. Number one, the entire family is to fear the Lord. That is a reverential fear that the family has for God. And that leads to obeying the Lord. And then the third instruction that God gives, and that's where we pick up today, is that you and I are to 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. What does this mean? Folks, this is one of the most powerful statements about God in the Old Testament. And again, as I've studied this, I've thought about how important this concept is. And before I go any farther, let me ask this question. How many gods, and I'm using a little g, how many gods do we have in our world today? Webster defines God, little g, as someone considered to be extremely important or valuable. I I encourage you to come up with your own definition of God, little g, okay? But here's the definition that I wrote down. My gods are those things that receive my heart's commitment and my life's commitment. What are we committing ourselves to in this life? And again, I ask the question, how many gods do we have in our world today? Let me just, and and this is just, again, from my own mind and my feelings, let me mention at least four gods that we see every day, I think, in America. First of all is the god of money or material possessions. Now, let me be the first one to point out that material possessions within themselves are not always evil. Matter of fact, many of the material possessions that you and I have, God has blessed us and given those things to us. But when money and material possessions become our all-consuming God, then that's where we make it evil. A second God is the God of sex. Now, would anybody deny that we are living as one of the most oversexed societies, perhaps, that we've ever known? And let me pose this question for you. If mysteriously this afternoon, all sexually implicit TV programming, music, and I remind you that a lot of our music today is, is about sex. If TV programming, music, literature where there's pornography that is published in book form or on the internet, if all these things were removed from our TVs and news racks and radios and computers, how much would be left? Do you and I understand that Satan, I think, is gradually and slowly just sucking us into making sex one of the gods within America? And how about fame? I'm not trying to be a smart aleck this morning. I know that a lot of you love American Idol. Eunice Jones loves Dancing with the Stars, and she won't be here until 11 o'clock. But how many of us would love to be, well, I couldn't say American Idol. How about old age American Idol? I don't dance, um, but how many would like to be on the program? How many of us would like to play for the National Football League or the National Basketball Association or Major League Baseball? How many of us would like to be some champion? On and on we could go. I mean, there is even within the ministry the desire to have the biggest church and the church that gives the most money and to be the most well-known minister. There's not an occupation that we could have in which we would not be tempted to want to be prideful about it. And folks, would you and I not say that in our world today, power is one of the biggest gods? Let me give you an illustration of this. In the next five months, how much power is being sought by politicians? How much money is going to be spent, let's just say, on the presidential campaign? Will it not go into, I'm assuming, maybe over a billion dollars? Folks, it's all about power. Our world is full of gods. But let's make this more personal. 
What gods do we have in our lives today? And I want to ask you to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as you answer this question. And let's define what is a personal God. And again, this is my definition. You can come up with yours, which I'm sure would be far better. But my definition of a personal God is anything that removes the Lord Jesus off the throne of our hearts and becomes our God. Now, let me ask you something. Is Jesus on the throne of your heart? Has he been pushed aside, put in a secondary place in your life? Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 21 and 24, and this is going to be on the screen. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And listen to verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon was a, was a word in that day for riches. Folks, I want to read to you out of uh, the open windows. And many of you got the current issue about the only thing in my life that I'm ahead on is, uh, is open windows. And this is from June the 26th, okay? And you'll get to this in probably a, a couple of weeks. But the devotional comes from this passage of Scripture. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. And the title of the devotional is, What's Your Choice? And let me just read this, all right? The self-storage industry is one of the fastest-growing businesses in America. There are more than 50,000 self-storage facilities in our country that contain more than 2.35 billion square foot of storage. One in ten households in the United States now rents a self-storage unit. For some, this figure may indicate an overabundance of material possessions. Many people believe possessions constitute the greatest good and the highest value in life. Jesus warned us. Now, this is what I'll, I'm not just talking about having, if you guys got a storage unit, well, thank God and, and thank you for what you've got in there. Here's the point that I wanted to make. Jesus warned us of the impossibility of living for things and for God at the same time. And here's what I underline. Just as a servant cannot work full time for two different masters, a person ceases to please God if he or she desires wealth for its own sake. And, folks, you can substitute not just the word wealth there. How about desiring pleasure? How about simply being selfish? God, this is my time, my life, my money, my talents. And how about control of our life? You know, I remember back when I was in college, the um, InterVarsity, I forget if it's InterVarsity or, or Campus Crusade, came out with this uh, uh, little tract. And at the end of the track, they were trying to explain sin and when we're out of relationship with God. And it showed the person's heart, and in the, in the heart was a little throne. And when you and I are sitting on the throne of our heart, then Jesus cannot be Lord of our lives. And folks, you and I must understand that any time that we take control of our life, then that is our God. We want to control ourselves. And folks, let me read a passage of scripture to you out of Romans chapter 6. And again, I, I pray, I don't, I don't know, maybe y'all are getting tired of hearing about this passage of scripture, but, but I want to tell you, this passage of scripture in Deuteronomy 6 is absolutely full of teaching about being faithful to God. 
You remember a couple of weeks ago we read out of Romans 7 about how there's a constant struggle for us as Christians to, to, to do the right things. Uh, when we want to do the right thing, we do the wrong thing. It is the sin nature within us. But folks, listen to what Paul says in Romans 6. And I'm reading this out of the Good News Bible, okay, because I think it puts it in real simple English, okay? And we know that our old being, that's before we became a Christian, our old being has been put to death with Christ on his cross. When you and I trusted Christ as Savior, that old man was destroyed by the blood of Jesus Christ. In order that the power of the sinful self may be destroyed so that we should no longer be the slaves of sin. Look at these next verses. In the same way, you are to think of yourselves as dead so far as sin is concerned, but living in fellowship with God through Christ Jesus. Sin, now listen to this, sin must no longer rule in your mortal body so that you may obey the desires of your natural self, nor must you, look at that fourth word in verse 13, nor must you surrender. And folks, I want to point something out before we go any farther. Five times in the next couple of verses, Paul is going to use the word surrender. If you've got a Revised Standard or King James Version of the Bible, it's going to use the word yield. The New International Version uses the word offer. But Paul is talking about a surrender here. And folks, I want to ask you, have we surrendered all of ourselves to Jesus Christ? Because if we haven't, then what we haven't surrendered to him is going to become the God that replaces the Lord Jesus Christ. And I go back to the devotional. We can have two bosses. We'll never be happy. And many of us are not happy as Christians because we've got just enough of Christ to be happy about ourselves, but not enough of him to make an impact in the world that we live in. And so we need to be totally surrendered to him. So listen to what Paul says. I'm going to start reading it again, verse 13. Listen, he's going to use the word surrender or yield or offer, regard, regard, whichever translation you have. But listen to this, 13. Nor must, nor must you surrender any part of yourselves to sin to be used for wicked purposes. He's talking to Christians. Don't surrender any part of yourself to be used for wicked persons, uh, purposes, do not surrender yourself to sin. Instead, give yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and surrender your whole being to him to be used for righteous purposes. Sin must not be your master. For you do not live under law but under God's grace. Next one. Surely you know that when you surrender yourselves as slaves to obey someone, you are in fact the slaves of the master you obey. Again, listen to this, my dear brother and sister in Christ. Whoever we are surrendered to is the one who will master us, either of sin, which results in death, or of obedience, which results in being put right with God. But thanks be to God, for though at one time you were slaves to sin, you have obeyed with all your heart the truths found in the teachings you received. You were set free from sin and become the slaves of righteousness. I use everyday language because of the weaknesses of your natural selves. At one time you surrendered yourself entirely as slaves to impurity and wickedness for wicked purposes. In the same way, you must now surrender yourselves entirely as slaves of righteousness for holy purposes. Now... Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. What does all this have to do with Deuteronomy chapter 6 and us being responsible Christian parents? Well, let me point something out. 
The Hebrew people had left Egypt where there had been a multitude of gods. As you read the book of Exodus, you know that the Egyptian people worshipped a multitude of gods. And folks, if you know the story of the Old Testament, they're getting ready to go to the promised land. They're heading to a land where the people worshipped a multitude of gods. And God is trying to prepare them. You must make me the one and only God that you're going to serve. And folks, as I was reading this and studying it, it suddenly dawned on me that God's people, whether it is of the Old Testament or the New Testament church today, you and I are always going to be living in a land where there are many, many gods. And we are today. But folks, you and I must choose to make Jesus Christ the Lord. And that's what this passage is all about. Making Jesus Lord of our lives, of our homes, of our families, and even of this church. Let me read Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 to 18. And this is a passage of scripture that you know so very, very well. Listen to this. Joshua, they're getting ready to go into the promised land. They're in the promised land. Listen to this. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Now, that's an instruction in Deuteronomy chapter 6, correct? Therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Now, listen to this. Put away the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve who? The Lord. And folks, let me point something out that, that I'd really not uh, noticed. If you'll go, I'm sorry, I'm give you a hard time. Would you go back one time? There we go. I'd never noticed until yesterday morning when I was reading this passage of Scripture again. Put away the gods which who? Your father served. Let me point something out. You and I who are parents, we have such a direct influence on our children. And folks, the gods that we begin to serve and they see us serving are the gods that they are going to be tempted to serve also. Let me give you an example of that. If we're caught up in our own little world as parents, if everything is supposed to revolve around us, we're the center of the universe, guess what kind of kids we're going to have? coming out of our house the same type you and i have such an influence upon our children now let me read the rest of this passage of scripture okay and if you are unwilling to serve the lord choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods listen to this god's little gods your father served in the region beyond the river are the gods of the amorites in whose land you dwell but as me for me and my house we will serve the lord is that not a powerful verse now, look at the next verse. Then the people answer, Far be it from me or from us that we should forsake the, God, the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us, up, uh, brought us and our fathers from the land of Egypt out of the house of bondage and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went among all the peoples through whom we have passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he is God. Folks, now listen to this. Here's a great profession of service to God. Here's a great profession that, listen, God, you've done all of these things for us, and we're going to faithfully follow you. But did they? You know the rest of the Old, Old Testament. Immediately in the book of Judges, a pattern begins after these people made such a commitment, such a profession of serving God that the people fell 
away from God. They adopted the gods of the land. They rebelled against God. When they rebelled, God brought judgment and sin, and then God raised a leader after the people were willing to repent. Folks, there's a vicious cycle of where Satan tries to make our world pull away from God. You know, I don't know if we're living in the last days. I can't say that. So often I feel like we are. But folks, I want to tell you something. Our world is not going to change until the people of God make a commitment that they stand by. Godly, Christ-like homes do not happen by accident. They happen on purpose. They happen on purpose when you and I, as the parental leaders within the home, make a commitment to follow Jesus Christ with every ounce of energy and every part of our being. And I'm not standing, I tell you when I began this, me, this series of messages, I'm not standing up here and acting as if I'm a perfect father and husband because you know that as well as I do, I am not. But folks, this is what the Word of God says. And there's hope for us. There's hope for our homes and for our families. But it is when you and I begin to fear the Lord, when we begin to obey him, and when we make Jesus Christ the Lord of our homes. And that this is, this is what this is all about. The Lord our God is one Lord. What are the gods that we're worshiping in our homes? We need to turn back to the Lord. We need to serve him. We're living in a land with many gods, but we need to be serving the Lord Jesus Christ. May we make him the Lord of our homes, and may he bless our homes. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this portion of Scripture. Lord, we can't go back in time and be there with the people as Moses gave them instruction. But through your written word and through the work of the Holy Spirit of God, we can hear that word and let it apply to our lives today. We're not people that have been in the land of Egypt or in the land now, the Amorites. But, Lord, we live in a day in which we are so tempted to, to not let you be Lord. We can come to church and hear the word of God preached and go to Sunday school, but yet on Monday through Saturday we can choose not to serve you or let your word penetrate our hearts. Lord, I just pray that we'll fear you, we'll obey you, and we'll make you Lord not only of our homes, but most especially of our hearts. And Lord, I pray for each one of us as parents. God, may we, may we not settle for lesser gods, but may we bow in your presence and surrender our total lives and total beings to you. Father, give us strength knowing that every single day we're going to be tempted to forsake you and turn to other gods. Lord, help us to be found faithful and help, Father, that the life that we live as a godly man and woman will have a great influence on our children and grandchildren. Lord, today I pray that if there are those here that need to make 
a decision about asking your son to be the Lord of their life for the first time. Lord, I pray that they would not only sense that they are a sinner in need of a Savior, but they would be willing to forsake sin in repentance and turn to your son. And Father, I pray that they would believe that you are the Son of God, that you came and died on the cross and was buried and raised on the third day. And even now, you are by the right hand of the Father, and you can save those that call upon you. And I pray, Father, in these moments of invitation that your Holy Spirit will speak, and I pray that we'll respond. In Jesus' name, amen.